1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, is where we pick up. We've been studying up till there, um, and uh, we continue on now. And, and in fact, actually, this is this makes the one-year mark we've been in 1 John tonight. Wow, and we're not done with it. You remember there were some nights we only studied one verse at a time, right? Well, we're going to take a big chunk tonight and look at verses 19 all the way down to 24, all right? And we're going to finish out chapter 3, Lord willing. As we think about the section of Scripture we're looking at tonight, uh, there, are, there are, I'd like you to consider, there are a few, a few, very few things that um, generate confidence and promote a happy, um, healthy home atmosphere. Think about the relationship of a family at home. There are a number of things that help promote a, a quality, healthy, loving, um, um, approachable environment that's free from friction, it's free from, from um, strife and um, unavailability and being obstinate towards one another. There are things that help that. Uh, there are very key things in that. Um, and and when, when there is an atmosphere like that in a home, it creates a beautiful place for a family to grow and enjoy one another, doesn't it? Some of you see this from the perspective of, I didn't have that as a family, or I don't have that now, but I see the value and I would love that. Some else, others of us say, I am appreciative by God's grace to be, have been raised in a family that has these things. Some of you kids here tonight might say, what kind of family is that? You know, I got my brother and my sister next to me, and it never worked, right, whatever it might be. We think about a family that's rightly functioning in a way that provides for good communication. There's confidence in communication. When there's a loving relationship between me and my sons and my daughter, a right loving relationship <coughs> in which both parties understand who's dad and who's a child and the dad understands that these are my children the lord has given to me for a time to love and to care and to nurture and they understand that their father loves them and their father ought to be willing to forgive and instruct and correct where necessary and when we understand and we work these things together it provides for a relationship where my children are not fearful to come and ask dad a question my children, unless it's really early in the morning and I have to work extra hard to not be fearful when they ask me a question, right? My children know that they can approach their loving father when our relationship is right together. It is not much different in the relationship we have as John calls us little children, children of God, with our Heavenly Father. When our relationship with him, that's final and secure through salvation. That's our permanent relationship. When that is secure, but then when our fellowship, which can be so fragile, even in our relationship with Christ, it doesn't break our relationship when we sin, but it, 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 it breaches that fellowship. It disrupts that fellowship with our Lord. And when that disruption takes place because of sin and a wrong fellowship, the communication is not what it ought to be. That's what I want us to focus on a little bit, the confidence that we can have as Christians. John shows us that very clearly in these passages. There's a couple of verses that are a little bit difficult, and we're going to work through those together. But we're going to see that love generates 
confidence. Love generates confidence. Firstly, we see in verses 19 and then 20, we'll look at that here in a moment, we see that love generates confidence of possession of truth. The, the having of truth. Love produces, it, it, excuse me, it generates that confidence of, of knowing that we have the truth within us. So look with me at verse 19. I think you'll see it as well. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall, here's the word where I get our point from this evening, assure our hearts before him. How, how can we be sure? How can we have confidence? Well, you can understand this in verse 19, really. You also understand that self-examination should lead to a certain amount of confidence. When we examine ourselves, <coughs> we make sure of this like we did this morning prior to partaking the Lord's uh, table this morning together as a church. We try to set us at a time for final examination to make sure we are in right fellowship and relationship with the Lord before we partake. And so the fact that we express our love in action by giving of ourselves and possessions after the manner of verses uh, 16, 17, and 18, that's the preceding context to our passage here. We're talking about an expression of love, of actually having Christ's love in us, is when we are willing to give us our, of our possessions and our wealth to others who are in need. When we see someone in need, we don't shut up our bowels of compassion, but we help them. It's in the same vein of context that John continues to write here, and he says it's in that manner that, we, that, that when, when we love with action, it is manifested in evidence that we are of the truth. When I have individuals, and maybe you've spoken to some before, that doubt and are having struggle, they're struggling with doubts of salvation, and I, and I graciously open up 1 John, and I walk through segments of passages, and I ask them things like, do you love God's people? Are you convicted of sin? Do you have a desire to know God's truth? Do you, um, do you feel guilty when you commit a sin that violates God's word? All these things, yes, 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 yes. And I don't want to tell somebody they're saved. I said, those are all indications of a born-again believer. And this is one of them here. When there is an expression of love toward others in need and other believers, like 16, 17, 18 of chapter 3 tells us, it evidences that we are of the truth. And the truth there that's being spoken of, it's not merely some written code or decree or creed of, of cold, pragmatic facts. It's not some theoretical code that one man or woman might come up with, but it is vital and living and vibrant and active. That's this truth. Truth is, is life-changing, and it is uh, heart-transforming. God's truth is this. The author of Hebrews reminds us of this and how God's word is alive, it's living, it's, it's dividing of soul and spirit. Truth is life-changing, and so to love like this is to produce the fruit of truth. It is the Holy Spirit that produces the fruits of the Spirit through us as we um, yield to His leading, and we're walking in relationship with Him, and this is the fruit of truth. So, the passage says, we assure our hearts before Him. Look at that. Verse 19, we assure our hearts before him. That is to say that we can have 
confidence. We can have confidence of the possession of truth within us when we evidence the action of verses 16, 17, and 18. Okay? Now look at verse 20 here as we continue to study this. Verse 20 says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. For our heart condemn us. We need to examine that a little closely, a little closer. Verse 20, self-examination may lead to condemnation. When we examine ourselves, and when we, we do self-examination, it's best done through prayer. Lord, please call to, to memory the things that I have done wrong, the ways I've wronged you. I compare my life and my actions to God's word to see how my life and my actions are contrary to his. We examine ourselves. Verse, verse 20 is often interpreted in two different ways. And I think it might be helpful to, to mention one of the most common ways and, and the way that I believe that Scripture is probably most, what I understand is to be an accurate interpretation of Scripture. So look at verse 20, and we see here the passage that we just read. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Verse 20, it's often interpreted in several ways. The first way is some see this as a some sort of a, a consolation, a comfort for the believer who is oversensitive in conscience and, and, and wonders if, 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 um, uh, you know, if, if I don't love other Christians to the extent that I'm being called to love, I don't know, am I really even a Christian at all? And, and some would say that this verse is viewed as a comfort to encourage that type of believer, that God who is, who is greater than our heart and greater than our knowledge certainly knows my true intentions in spite of my inescapable wickedness, my propensity to be wicked and sin. God, God knows that, that down deep, somewhere inside, I, I really do mean well. I just struggle getting there. That's one way. In fact, I think um, an advocate for that sort of an interpretation will go to the Gospel of John, verse 21 and verse 17, when Jesus confronts Peter and asks him a question. Our confidence, I believe, should, should be in God, not our emotions of feeling of laboring to do something we know we ought to do, but falling short of that. And so I would, I would I tend to understand the scripture to clearly, more clearly, be interpreted and understood in this light. I, I, I think that this verse, verse 20 here, is actually to be cautioning or warning us as believers. This is, this is a, a warning to us as believers who are convicted of and recognize, uh, recognize sin or the lack of love for others in our hearts. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Hey, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm rather unloving. Sometimes the Lord's convictions can come through and by the ways of other individuals pointing things out in our lives as well. We need to be sensitive. We need to be rightfully responsive to those things. So the believer knows they have come short of God's expectation. And if the heart condemns them, thus this convicting, this, this conscience that the Lord has given each and every one of us, as well as the Spirit's conviction, the believer knows he's come short of God's expectation. And if their heart condemns them, they can be sure God will not overlook our failure. So look at it again, verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, we're convicted of our shortcomings of what God calls us to do. God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. We cannot hide anything from the Lord. In fact, the psalmist in uh, 66, 
Verse 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We have that that broken fellowship with the Lord because of sin. And our heart is condemning us. It is a um, a, a, a wall, a breach, not a breach, a wall between our communication, right communication between us and the Lord in our prayers. Now listen, I... I thank God that he is greater than my eyes. I thank God that he is, knows all things when I don't. I thank the Lord that, that he knows my needs before I know my needs. And he pricks the heart and he stirs our conscience to do as we ought. And in this context, specifically in the area of helping others, showing love to others. It goes beyond lip service to action in our life. So I believe 1 John 3.20 is, is a warning that a person must deal with the problem of sin in his life before he can pray with confidence. And I think the, the next verses help us understand that. So look, at, look now at verses 21 and 22 and see that not only does love generate confidence of possession of truth, but love also generates confidence in prayer to God. Love generates confidence in prayer to God. I think the the believer whose heart does not condemn him has confidence toward God. We don't have a, a, a conviction in our heart that we are living in sin. Then we have confidence that the Lord will hear us. Like an obedient, well-behaved child has confidence before a loving parent. So the child of God is with his heavenly My children understand that when they have been disobedient and when dad comes home and mom says, please talk to so-and-so, it's not a conversation that our children would like to have. They would like to fast-forward life about five minutes and then be in that embracing, loving hold after the conversation takes place. But in many cases, that conversation needs to take place, and it's not a time where, oh, goody, I get to talk to dad. The same way with our Lord when we have sin within our lives. A clean heart before God means open, healthy, confidence for prayers to be heard by Him. Did you know that God desires to hear us speak to Him? Do you remember that? I think sometimes we can act like a, sometimes I can be like an, uh, just a curmudgeon, right? Can we use that word? A grumpy old, yeah, 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 I know prayer. The creator God delights to hear his children. And as we pray to our Father, he des- delights to hear from us. And we can have confidence that will, he will hear us when our hearts do not condemn us for sin that we have left untaken care of. Verse 21, look at this with me. It says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we, er, then have we confidence toward God. Our conscience is clean. Our heart is bare and clean. So I don't even know how many times throughout the Psalms, David and other psalmists will, will confess, Lord, you know my heart. You know who's righteous. And then he continues on with the prayer and crying out to God. Verse 21 teaches that a clean heart is the condition for confidence. Condition for confidence in prayer. 
the confidence of the believer to, to even ask. Going back to picking on my children a little bit here this evening. It's hard to ask something of dad when they know they have been doing bad. Especially when dad knows it. And we know our Lord knows all things. Look at verse 22. It says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of What a precious promise. This is scripture. Whatever we ask, God seems to be sort of uh, taking the lid off of the proverbial cookie jar at this point, doesn't he? Go for it. Whichever one and however many, I will provide. This is, this is what it appears like. God, he, he, can a believer seek to abuse this sort of a privilege? Can we ask for things that we shouldn't as Christians? Are there limitations or conditions to, to God's promise here in this passage? All valid, quest, valid questions. And the answer comes as we continue reading. Because we keep his commandments. Look at that. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep notice the condition do you notice the obedience here that means we do what he asks us to do we are obedient and right relationship and fellowship with him and this means obedience is the condition of answered prayer also we do those things that are pleasing in his And it would continue in the verse there, verse 22, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is, a, this is so much more than obedience here. This isn't just the, and it's good, but the obedience, you know, the obedience thing. The very best way to show that I believe. It's more than just a rote obedience. Because we can obey all day long and have a really disgusting lifestyle. This is why there's more to this here. Do those things that are pleasing in his, in his sight. We can be obedient but not desire to please our Lord. Obedience can be accomplished with a negative attitude. That can happen. Unfortunately, that happens, I think, too much in the life of believers. But it takes a positive desire to do things to please our Lord. Not just to obey, but to obey out of love for Him because we want to please our Lord. This is the obedience that's being spoken of here. And if, if we're doing those things that are pleasing to Him, then it helps us if we're doing if we are doing things with the with the motive of love and trying to and a desire to please the Lord, then then we will not be asking for things normally that are outside of his will. We will not be asking selfishly. We will not be thinking of self and demanding and crying out for what might not be according to his will. We ought not to be praying and asking for things that are contrary to bringing glory to God. And so then. We understand also the commitment of God to answer these prayers. We receive of him. This is a promise of God. It's a promise of God. 
you know that God has committed himself to answer the prayers of his children? The prayers of his children that are, that are asked in his will. That's why we pray this way so often. Right? We're not writing out a will for God. But Lord, if you will, if it is your will, we, from our perspective and understanding, we would desire that you would heal so-and-so. But we do this as mature Christians, understanding that it is not God's will 100% of the time that everyone is 100% healthy. And so we pray and we ask, we don't know, we trust you, Lord, and we would love to see this person healed. Would you please do so if it is your will? Oh, what a blessed way to pray. God is glorified when we come to him as a dependent child, desiring to please him by obedient and by, by obedience and a positive attitude. You know, I love my children and I am delighted to give gifts to my children. I overheard Jane talking with somebody in the Drillingen service about a birthday gift she got last year for her son. Tell you, if you if you ask him, he may tell you what it is after the service, because I'm not afraid of him. But he got something very special for his birthday. And, oh, so dad, I got a gift for you. Here, this is special. You feel special. I think they like receiving that too, right? You know, our, our father in heaven is likewise loving, and he delights to please his children when we seek delights in that. Verses 23 and 24. Finish the chapter. Shall we keep going? Look at 23 with me and 24. And we'll see lastly this evening that love generates confidence of position in life. Love generates confidence of our position in life. Love doesn't establish our but it creates that confidence. It, it, it kindles that fire of confidence and assurance in our position in Christ. Now, keeping God's commandments is given as a condition of answered prayer. We saw that in verse 22. Then, next, John spells out what is involved in those commandments. For one's position in Christ also is manifested by keeping his commandments. Our position in Christ is manifested, it's seen, it's, we're reminded of it, we are reassured of it as we keep his commandments. This is not a work salvation that John is accidentally teaching here that would, that would contradict so much other scripture. That's not what he's teaching here. We understand this very carefully. Look at verse uh, t 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. I'm sorry, go, go back to uh, verse uh, 22. We keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You know, we need to understand uh, you know what, I'm sorry, let's keep on going on to verse 24. This will help as well. And he that keepeth his commandments, here we go, dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. 
way. <laughs> We're still in the same chapter, verse 26. You know, our position in Christ uh, commences with our, with our faith in Christ. Our position in Christ. And, and we see this in verse 23. And, th- and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. Commences our, 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 rela- our position with him. And so faith in Christ is the first step a sinner must take. Faith and complete trust in, in Jesus Christ. You must believe in Christ in order to be saved. Or to believe in his name means to believe in his nature. It means to believe in his character. It means to believe in his work. And all that Christ stands for. To believe in what he's accomplished for us. So our position in Christ commences with faith, but our position in Christ also continues with love. And this is what John continues to drive home. This reality of love in the life of a believer as he walks in the light the love and the life of Christ. In verse 23, we see this, and love one another as he gave us commandment. John, again, through repetition, continues for, for the purpose of emphasis on this. He wanted his readers to really get this point and to really grasp this. And so our position in Christ is, is contingent on obedience. You may go, whoa, was that a mistake? Is that work salvation? No. This is the idea of, we've got to understand the word tenses again. We've been studying word tenses in 1 John. So if you look here at verse 24, we see the, the, the present tense, so often used by John, that he's used, been using so many times, especially in, ch- in uh, chapter 3 here. This present tense that he uses is again used here. And that present tense of the wording that he uses, it emphasizes the continual keeping of the commandments and the continual dwelling in him as opposed to a continual and habitual life in sin that opposes him. Not that there might be sin here and there that's immediately corrected and taken care of, but a life of habitual, continual, present tense sin as opposed to a life of of obedience and keeping the commandments of the Lord. Keep means to guard, means to, uh, to hold, to observe or pay attention to. Whereas the word dwell is, is the same word translated to abide in chapter 3, verse 6. Look at that. Whosoever abideth, abideth in him sinneth not. He's walking with him, continual in that relationship with him. So our position in Christ is then also confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 24. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. These are all helpful under um, uh, helpful reminders. They teach us how to identify the presence of Christ in our life, to, to be able to mark those who are walking in right relationship with the Lord, to see manifestations of one who is walking in the light and loving others. And because we love Christ and we walk in his commandments and we have the spirit indwelling in us, and 24 reminds us of this. Confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is the very first mention of the Holy Spirit in all of 1 John. You realize that? The very first mention of the Holy Spirit by name in John's epistle here. By name. Right? There's reference and understanding there. One of the ministries of the Spirit is to bring assurance to the believer. Isn't it good to be assured of something? Maybe there's times in your life you remember where, where through 
the scripture, you have been assured of your salvation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 expresses a similar truth where Paul writes and he says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. These are all descriptive characteristics of a born-again believer who's been right fellowship with God. That completes chapter 10 for this evening. Let me encourage you this way before we close in prayer. Love for God generates and grows our confidence grows and generates our confidence in God and it grows and it generates our confidence in each other. This is the message of John in these verses here in chapter 3. John again is reminding Christians to love one another in truth and in deed. That's the, that's the really the context of this passage here. May God in his word Help us as a church, as a congregation, husbands, wives, fathers, children, brothers and sisters and grandpas and grandmas, every one of us. May God in his word help us to develop a greater confidence in our faith. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you for your word. Dear Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your faithfulness and commitment answering our faith. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for making a way available for us to have a restored right fellowship with you. Help us to guard that, to protect that as best quickly as possible to seek to live in obedience to your commandments, not only out of fear, but out of love for you. Thank you for these things as we pray. I pray that we would seek to make application of these things in our lives. Look for it, to see, and to live out these truths of an everyday believer. All for your glory, in Jesus' name.